everyone and welcome back to today's episode. So today's episode is Paige's Dirty Little Secret. Chapter 6 of Volume 2. So now we're in the U.S. We're now in Colorado. So and this is the mid-2000s. Well, the late, getting to the late 2000s. On the afternoon of June 28, 2007, Paige Birchfeld drove two hours from her home in Grand Junction, Colorado, to Eagle, Colorado, for a picnic she had planned for her ex-husband, Howard Beagler. Eagle was the midpoint mark between Grand Junction and Howard's home in Denver. So it was the perfect meeting point for both of them. Howard and Paige were high school sweethearts, but it was a typical story. They fell in love, they were young, and it it just didn't work between the two. They divorced after two years, but now, several years later, there was a lot of water under the bridge. Paige was 34, had three kids, and divorced a second time. She was hoping to rekindle rekindle some of the romance she and Howard felt when they were young. Paige's second marriage was Rob Dixon. Rob came from a very wealthy family. They made their money in a cell phone industry in its infancy in its infancy. And Rob didn't need to work for a living. Rob had a collection of sports cars including bright yellow Ferrari and lived in a million dollar home. When he and Paige first started dating, he he showered her with lavish lavish gifts, like a $12,000 necklace. When Rob proposed to her with an $85,000 engagement ring, she couldn't say no. Rob and Paige had three adorable kids and lived the perfect life. But when Rob made a string of bad investments, his demeanor turned and he showed he had an angry side. During one of their arguments, Paige had to call the police. Quote, my husband and I were in a fight and he was supposed to watch my children when I went, while I went to work. He said that I would come home and find them all murdered. Police filed no charges on that occasion, but the arguments didn't stop, and it wasn't long before the cops were called again. Rob was was arrested for third-degree assault after he punched and slapped Paige. Paige wrote in her blog, quote, quote, unquote, my children would ask me if dad was going to kill me. I can't imagine what life would be like for them after he killed me. When the two divorced after eight years of marriage, Paige gained custody of the kids and kept the house in Grand Junction with its with its whooping $6,000 per month mortgage payment. Though stuck with a huge mortgage and not much help from her ex, 
Paige was determined to make it work. She loved her kids more than anything in the world, and she turned to her entrepreneurial skills to help support her family. She started a string of dance studios for kids, and she sold nursing slings for new mothers. And she sold cookware through a company called Pampered Chef. But that Thursday in June, Paige was interested in love. She was hoping there might be a spark left with her first husband, Howard Burglar. The two met for their first pic- for their picnic in Eagle, Colorado. That evening, Paige left for a two-hour drive in Grand Junction. Paige was due to be home that night, but when she wasn't home by 11 p.m., and there was no reply when calling her cell phone, her kids were terrified. The three kids were being watched by their babysitter, who didn't speak English, which added to the confusion. The poor children, the oldest of which was only eight years old, spent the following day not knowing what happened and no idea what to do. The kids finally called Howard in Denver, who told them that their babysitter took them to the police station, and Howard immediately called Mesa County Sheriff. Howard told police he had spoken to her around 9 p.m. Thursday night after their picnic earlier in the day. She called and said she was just going into Grand Junction and had a few people to meet before she went home, but he didn't but he didn't know who she was meeting with. Paige Berg, Bergfeld was listed as a missing person on Saturday afternoon and her family and friends were notified. The first place they look was the last person to see Paige, which was her ex-husband, Howard. But he was quickly eliminated as a suspect when phone records showed he had spoke to Paige at 9 p.m. that night when she was driving into Grand Junction and he was on his cell phone in Denver. Paige's second ex-husband, Ron, was an immediate suspect because he had such a tumultuous relationship, but he was now living in Pennsylvania and was eliminated as a suspect as well. By that evening, there was over 100 people searching for her, and police had forensic sniffer dogs looking for clues, but an ominous clue came that evening from a 911 call to police. In an empty lot in an industrial part of town, Paige's car was found burning. An obvious arson. Someone was trying to get rid of evidence. When police searched the remains of a burned-out car, there were some additional signs of foul play. The driver's side seat was pushed back into its furthest position. Paige was only five foot four. With the seat pushed back that far, she wouldn't have been able to reach the pedals. Someone very tall had been driving her car. Inside the trunk, investigators found Paige's day planner. Amazingly, though, damaged, it survived the fire, but someone had torn out the last four, pa- four days of the planner. Those pages 
would have shown who she met that night. Again, someone was covering up evidence. The forensic dogs tracked a scent at the car and and followed it about 500 feet away to the mechanic shop that received RVs where the scent disappeared. Despite having so many volunteers searching for Paige, the Grand Junction area had huge amounts of vast open spaces. The Colorado River pours into the the Gunson River and twists and turns for hundreds of miles. There was literally thousands of square miles for someone to disappear. Investigators then concentrated their efforts on the last activity of Paige's cell phone. On the evening that Paige went missing, her last call was to Howard, who later that day there were calls from another number that weren't in her contacts. There were three calls coming in and two going out. Further investigations of her cell phone revealed that Paige led a secret life that her friends and family didn't know about. There were voicemails left from men asking to meet her in hotel rooms. Besides teaching dance lessons and selling cookware, Paige was selling sex. No one had an idea that the sweet, loving mother of three was secretly running an escort business called Models, Inc. And when they did further digging, they found photos of Paige, a beautiful, thin, strawberry blonde, listed on escort websites under the name Carrie. Paige was working as an escort to pay the bills and bring her three kids up by herself. The police were particularly interested in the five phone calls on Paige's phone from earlier in the day. One message left from the number was a man that called himself Jim. Quote, unquote, hello. Yeah, this is Jim. Just calling to see if Carrie was available tonight. Detectives discovered the phone call. The phone call. Well, the general phone calls came from a tracker phone, her disposable prepaid cell phone. As you guys all know, a burner phone. Only five calls were made to or from the phone, all to Paige's Models Inc. number. Track, track phones can be somewhat anonymous, but in an instant, in this instance, police could tell exactly where and what time it was purchased. It was purchased two days earlier on June 26 at the local Walmart. Police contacted the Walmart and acquired surveillance photo taken during the purchase. The video showed a large white male in his 60s buying the phone. Upon further digging, they found the man's name was Lester Jones, and he worked as Bob, at Bob Scott RV, the same RV repair shop, just 500 feet from where Paige's car was found in flames. Lester Jones had a prior conviction on his record. In 1999, he was convicted of first-degree sexual assault and kidnapping of his own ex-wife. Lester Jones was also a very tall man. At six foot five, Jones would have needed to push a car seat all the way back to drive it. Police obtained a warrant to search the RV shop where Jones worked there. 
worked. There, they found that Lester Jones had a secret life of his own under the name of Jim. During the search, they found pockets of Viagra, condoms, and men's toupees. They also found handwritten lists with notes about certain escorts, including their appearances, websites, personalities, types of sex they could perform, bra and bra sizes. But the most damning two piece, pieces of evidence they found were gas canister and a food scale made by Pampered Chef, the same company that Paige worked for. Detectives also took the sniffer dogs back to the burned car. The dogs were able to find the scent of Lester Jones in the front seat of the car. Police brought Jones into the sheriff's office for interrogation, where he flatly denied everything. He denied ever meeting Paige or even knowing who she was. He denied buying the tracker phone and denied making the calls. When police showed him the surveillance photo, he said it wasn't him. Later, he admitted to being at Walmart at that time, but said he was purchasing a monster cable, despite the confirmation of the video receipt and the clerk remembering selling him the tracker phone. When asked his whereabouts on Sunday night when Paige's car was found ablaze, he admitted that he had left the house, claimed that he went back to the RV shop to turn the shop lights off just 500 feet from where the car was burning, but he claimed he had nothing to do with the burning car. It was just an amazing coincidence. Despite the seeming mountain of evidence, police had no crime other than the burning car. There was no body, and they really had no clue whether Paige was dead, or if she was being held somewhere, or if she had just run off on her own accord. Proving he was guilty of anything beyond a reasonable doubt would be a risk. Police had no evidence but, a, but to set Lester Jones free. Two weeks later, July 16th, a motorist traveling on Highway 50 stopped to fix a flat tire. While changing their tire, they noticed a checkbook lying on the side of the road. It was Paige Berg, Bird, no, Berg Feld, Bergfeld's. Poli police were notified and an extensive search started of Highway 50, spread all along the highway between Grand Junction and Will in Whitewater, Colorado. They found over two dozen personal items belonging to Paige, such as her blockbuster video card clothing and her children's medical cards. Police speculated that Paige had been kidnapped and was leaving a trail of breadcrumbs by throwing her personal items out the window of a moving vehicle. Even with this new evidence, it wasn't enough to bring any charges against Jones. The case went cold, and nothing happened for another five years. In the spring of 2012, about 45 miles south of Grand Junction, an area called Wells Gulch, a hiker came across, came across a human skull near the Golson River. The flesh around the skull was long since decomposed, but there was still duct tape around the jawline and the back of the head. It was obvious the person had died against their will. Not willed, their will. Over the course of almost a year, the Gullison River was searched for more remains. Police found bones distributed, distributed across a mile of the twisted river.
on March 6, 2013, Paige Berg was pronounced dead. And it took another year and a half for prosecutors to put together a case that they believe was strong enough to convict Lester Jones, and they finally arrested him on October 21st, 2014. Jones's trial didn't start for an additional year and a half on June 6 on June 2016. Page's family was devastated to find the first trial ended in a mistrial. Nine jurors believed Jones was guilty, and the other three of them still believed that there was reasonable doubt. The prosecuting attorney believed that believed that because Page led a secret life as an escort, and some of the jurors may have believed she knew she was putting herself in harm's way and didn't deserve proper justice. The second trial started the following month. During the trial, Jones's wife was a witness and testified that Lester had left the house that Sunday night when the car was found burning. She said that she suspected her husband of seeing other women. As the jury was deliberating, they came back with the question, and they wanted the prosecution to replay a strange recorded phone conversation that they had played earlier between police officer and Lester Jones. Sergeant Art Smith was calling Jones to return one of his impounded vehicles to him during the investigation when Jones made some odd comments. Sergeant Smith said, if you need us to bring one of one to you or come and pick one pick one of you up, we can do that for you. Lester Jones said, I don't think so. Sergeant Smith said, um, Mr. Jones, I'm not following you. Lester Jones said, you asked me where I would bury a body. Sergeant Smith said, I'm sorry. Lester Jones said, you asked me where I would bury a body. Sergeant Smith said, when did I ask you that? Almost 10 years after Paige Bergfeld went missing, the jury finally came back with a verdict. Lester Jones was found guilty on all counts of kidnapping and murder. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Well, that was the end of that. Now, the next episode is going to be about the murder of Georgia Williams, Chapter 7. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And that is the end of that. Speak to you guys in the next one. Bye.